0: I have a few friends whose lives have undergone some rather significant changes in recent years. Uh, They live out in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, with the resurgence of vitality in the Silicon Valley and the the re-energizing of some of the capital and particularly venture capital markets, some of these guys left very stable companies that they had been working in for a long time in order to join one of the restarted or new starting dot coms. For a while, it seemed to these guys like they had managed to get themselves a slice of heaven. I mean, they were so excited about the new prospects that they'd entered into. They were on the inside track of this whole new technological resurgence and economy. They were on the fast track, they felt like, to the good life. And though they worked absolutely ungodly hours for extremely limited pay, it did not seem that bad to them because the stock options were so staggering, the prospects so amazing for them. As you know, of course, not every company turns out to be Google or Apple One of the other ones that have made such a hit of late. And some of my friends saw these bubbles that had been growing for them burst pretty badly. Some of them are still trying to bail out of the commitment they made to these companies. All of these guys, I know, are a lot more sober today than when they started a few years ago. When we meet them on the road to Emmaus, these two men that we read about in Luke chapter 24 are a little bit like my friends in a sense. We know very little about these two individuals, save for the fact that they appear to have been part of a wider circle of people who had invested themselves in recent years very, very heavily in what you might call Jesus.com. They had uh, pulled up stakes, left behind what they had been a part of in the past in order to invest themselves in all of the promise that Jesus seemed to bring. And within three years, Christ's company had exploded from a handful of Galileans up in the north of Israel to literally thousands of people from all over following him. Christ's name was Absolutely everywhere. His ideas were spreading. Even his critics could do nothing to slow down the fascination with everything Jesus. Except for a free meal now and then, the material pay for those who followed Jesus was next to nothing. Let's be honest about that. But the draw for many of them seems to have been the excitement of the work environment. It's sort of like going to work for Google. You know, it's constant stimulation and excitement. They'd go from village to village to village with Jesus. They saw him doing these extraordinary wonders. They sensed they were part of a movement that was going to change the world. And indeed, word on the street was this startup from Nazareth was the next big thing. He had some kind of unusual spiritual technology that was revolutionary, revolutionizing psychiatry and healthcare care and, and religious life. It was going to alter politics and economics, it looked like. His program was, in a sense, the killer app. It was going to overturn the market domination of Rome. And so after three years in R&D, in research and development, Jesus seemed ready to take the company public. He was heading on up to Jerusalem. He'd be on Wailing Wall Street in no time, really taking this thing stratospheric. And Christ's first wave of employees felt absolutely certain that their fortunes were about to soar. They would finally see... This payday they had been working so hard for these past years. And this is the sentiment behind these words of one of those men walking to Emmaus, a guy named Cleopas, when he says, We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Restore our fortunes. But then the bubble burst. The crash came. On the eve of the great big rollout, Christ's forecasts turned very depressing. He talks now about suffering and dying and a redemption of a very different kind than the disciples had expected. And hearing this, some of his followers immediately cashed out their options. Judas amongst them left while they could. Tons of new investors who had been hailing the company's prospects on Palm Sunday, they turned too. They gave up on Jesus.com. And the Sanhedrin Executive Committee, the SEC for short, raised criminal accusations. Yeah, criminal accusations about Jesus' management of the whole enterprise. They started yelling for blood. I'm telling you, they crucified him. They crucified him in the press. They crucified him on the hill. They crucified him Broke up his assets, turned out his lights. Cleopas, telling this story, shook his head in disappointment. He was telling all of this to the stranger who'd, who'd come up alongside of him and his friend as they'd walked on the road toward Emmaus. I, I'm actually surprised you haven't heard this news, he said to the stranger. I mean, it's, it's just been three days since all of this took place. You must be the only visitor to Jerusalem that, that isn't aware of this stuff. But you know, it's really crazy. Some of the female employees, they still haven't given up. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus was alive, that he'd managed some kind of a turnaround. Can you believe it? I wish it were true. Oh, I wish it were true. It really did look like it was going to be the good life for us, finally. It looked like Jesus might be the one to redeem Israel. Around Easter time each year, a lot of Cleopuses, Find their way to church. Uh, It just seems like Easter, along with Christmas, is a time when a lot of people uh, find themselves attracted to what Jesus might offer. Maybe, Maybe you're one of those folks. I don't know. Like the crowd who showed up at the temple at the Passover in Jerusalem Some of us come for the big cultural celebration. Uh, It's what lots of people are doing. It's what we've been taught, maybe from childhood, to do at these times of year. Maybe we've even been dragged along by somebody to the Easter or the Christmas celebration. But part of us, in spite of all of those superficial reasons for coming, I suppose still has something going on on the inside that wonders... Maybe this year will be different. You know, could, could it really this year be something new? Might this be the time that God rolls out something more that I haven't seen yet? Could it be the big announcement of something that makes stock in Christ's company really worth owning? Maybe, maybe you showed up here, or you know somebody who showed up at some church last weekend with an openness like that. Maybe they weren't looking for anything quite so radical as the redemption of their whole life, but but maybe they were looking for something that might upgrade their life in some kind of meaningful way. I mean, who could blame them, right? And, and, And when you look at the things that Jesus started, you have to think that it has at least that for us. It has at least that kind of offering. I mean, the Bible's full of all these great moral precepts. They're good for us. They're good for our families. They could help our workplaces. The church seems to be about caring for the needy. That's good. There are certainly a lot of people here, opportunities to network one way or the other. The music I heard last week was pretty good. The employees seemed reasonably nice. And so maybe we think to ourselves, hey, maybe I will invest a little bit more in this enterprise. I think I'll come back the weekend after Easter. I think of the story of the little boy who was waiting in line after worship one day with his parents. He was bored. The line was long. He started looking over. He saw this wall in which were inscribed... All of the names of these people, and when he finally got up to the pastor, he said, "Pointed to the wall. What's that, pastor? What's who are those people?" And the pastor says, "Well, those are the names of all of the people who who died in service from this church." And the little boy, without missing a beat, says, "Was that the Saturday night service or the Sunday service?" (laughs) We can understand the question. We can understand the confusion especially those of us who come back after Easter. Because sometimes we show up after one of these big holidays and we find it a little bit dead around here. Where'd all the people go? We wonder that as pastoral staff sometimes. Where'd all the people go? Or we start to think, you know, I tried this Jesus business before. It didn't pan out. You know, it didn't protect me. From that pain, from that particular loss that I went through. I went to church. In fact, I went regularly for a while. It didn't help my love life. It didn't change my business prospects. It just wasn't worth the investment. I bought some shares in Jesus.com. They didn't go up. And for a moment, I had honestly hoped that Christ and his company would be the one to help me to the good life. I guess it was just what John Kenneth Galbraith, the great economist, once called irrational exuberance and nothing more. But you know, it is not irrational, this hope we keep putting in the company of Jesus, It's just that sometimes we misread the mission statement of the company. And so that really, in the time we have remaining today, is what I want to zero in on with you. I want to talk with you very honestly about what Jesus really offers you and what he doesn't. So for even those of us who have maybe been around for a long time, we will not be confused. First of all, Jesus does not offer you a very good religion. That may surprise you. His business is not religion. It's not rules, regulations, rituals. Maybe those things are around the edges, but that's not what He's about. What He offers you is a living relationship with God. In other words, if you invest yourself and get to know this Jesus, you're not going to be discovering merely a very moral man or a really wonderful teacher or the architect of this great system of religious practices. You're going to be connecting with the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, the one who started all of life, set everything up, and the one who's going to be waiting at the door when you step out of this life to reach for your hand. He offers you this divine relationship that gets you started, that sustains you on the way, and that gets you home. Secondly, Jesus will not ensure you a pothole-free walk in life. You should know that. Just because you sign up with him does not mean it's going to suddenly get uh, blemish-free, effortless, and easy. But Jesus will give you his guiding companionship every step of the journey. I'm reminded of the guy who once hired a guide to take him on a long journey. And they got to the edge of this huge trackless desert. There was no road, there was no path, there was no signage. The guy turns to the guide confused and says, how are we going to go from here? I see no road. And the man said to him, I am your way. And so says Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You do not need to know what's over the next hill. You do not need to be afraid of anything you'll face, for I am your companion on this journey, and I am going to get you where you need to go if you stay with me. Thirdly, Jesus is going to challenge you a lot if you sign up with him. He's going to challenge you to abandon the whole acquisition and adornment mindset that you are constantly being sold by every, almost every other authoritative voice in this world. You're being told all the time that your hope in life, your meaning, your value, your worth in life will have to do with all you can acquire and adorn yourself with. And Jesus is going to say, no, give it up, pursue true fruitfulness instead. I am the vine, says Jesus. I am the source of life itself. And if you engraft your life to me, if you stay connected with me day by day, I am going to grow up in you a richer measure of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, humility, courage, all of the fruit of my character, of my spirit. And this will be to you worth so much more. This will be for the people you influence worth so much more than all you could acquire or adorn yourself with or them in any other way. Fourthly, Jesus will not promise that you will not have moments when you lack for something to put in your fridge. He will not make that promise to you. But he will provide the deep fulfillment that fills up the restless hunger of your soul. He is the bread of life. He is the one who fills us with that which satisfies the soul like nothing else in this world possibly can. Fifthly, Jesus will not give you all of the answers you want. He will not give you all the answers you demand sometimes about why this happened and why that didn't happen. But he will give you clear vision. The vision that you need to keep you from overly treasuring the trash being sold to you or trashing the treasure that you have in the people right next to you, around you, And in this extraordinary planet, he has entrusted to you. He'll give you the clear vision because Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one who can help you see what really matters and stay clear about that throughout your journey. Sixthly, Jesus will stop you from being duped into believing that it is safe to wander wherever you choose in life because anything goes. He's going to relieve you of that deception, again, sold in so many places today that every single pathway is fine in life. Jesus knows way too much about the dangerous paths, the pitfalls and cliffs of this world to, to let us go through life thinking that every single way is of equal value and help to us. Instead, Christ will offer you entrance into God's care and protection. I am the gate for the sheep, Jesus says. Come into my presence. Be with me, and you will find the safer way. Finally, Jesus will not ensure that your life is never touched by the wolves of evil. His life got touched, ravaged by the wolves of evil. But he went to the cross to guarantee you that you will finally be delivered from sin and death. Christ is the good shepherd, the Bible says, who loves you so very much that he became the sacrificial lamb that you might have forgiveness of sin, and eternal life. On that Easter morning long ago, Cleopas and his unnamed friend were just starting to learn these things. You can travel a while in the company of Jesus and miss these things. Uh, You can. They were just starting to to see who Jesus really was and what he wasn't. And I think it it is especially important to notice the way they began to learn these things because I think these are especially worth noting for ourselves because Cleopas and the other disciple could easily have missed the glory They could have easily have missed the real life that Jesus was offering if they had not done certain things next. The Bible says that the next things that they did were these one, they invited Christ to stay with them, two, they broke bread in fellowship together with him, three, They journeyed long enough with Him for Him to open up the meaning of the Scriptures to their understanding. I want to say in closing today that if you want the life-changing love of Jesus Christ to bring forth all of the good in your life and through your life that is possible, then make sure those three actions are part of what you and what I do next, too. First, invite Jesus Christ to come in and stay with you. Okay? Don't look at this place as where you meet Jesus. Okay? Uh, And look at this place as another one of the places that you're in the company of Jesus. Invite Him to stay with you All day long today, wherever you go, on whatever road you walk. The risen Lord does not force himself upon anyone. That is why 5,000 plus people can show up as they did last weekend here at Christ Church and go away and many of them feel disconnected from Christ. He will not force his way into their life. Jesus once said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I will come in and share my life with them. Invite Jesus into the house, into the heart of your life to be its center, to be your constant companion moment by moment and day by day. Secondly, involve yourself more fully in the fellowship of other believers. Jesus said that it's when two or more of you are gathered in my name that I am with you. There is something about groups. There is something about fellowships, smaller circles of community that Christ especially enjoys manifesting his presence and power through. If you do not have one of those kinds of circles, or in your life, talk to Tracy, talk to me, grab somebody else from the staff about how you can get plugged into one of those smaller fellowships. Keep coming back here on the weekends, but find that more intimate circle where church and Christ become even more powerfully experienced. Finally, invest yourself more deeply in the study of the Scriptures. Invest yourself more purposely, regularly in opening up the Word of God than you may already be doing. Do not depend on what we offer to you here alone uh, uh, on the weekends. Open up the Bible daily. Start with the Gospel of John. Start reading it at the beginning. Read all the way through, then move on to the Gospel according to Luke. Read from the Psalms, perhaps, but make a regular daily practice of reading the scriptures until your heart begins to burn with light and the warmth of Christ's own word speaking to you and in you and eventually through you to others. We'll help you find your way to to a Bible study, to a great personal guide, if you just ask. The bottom line with which I want to close today is that it is a challenge to follow Jesus. It is hard to be in the company of Jesus as he really describes it. He, in fact, said it's the narrow way. It's the difficult way. Few find it. And the reason is because we have been, all of us growing up in this cultural milieu that creates confusion about the nature of Christianity. We've lived so long in this multiple-choice, consuming, commodifying, commercializing culture that we naturally reduce Christianity to just another product, to not, just another thing, to just another one of those rackets or gimmicks in our diversified portfolio trying to get us the good life, being sold everywhere. But what I pray we're going to grasp more fully as we move into the season beyond Easter is that our hope does not lie in jesus.com at all. It lies in the eternal Lord himself who offers us his companionship on every road we travel from this place. Christ is offering to you and to me his moment-by-moment communion not to get us to the good life, but in order to grow up in us a life that is truly good, the way he is good. Do you want this life, asks Jesus, and if our answer is yes, his response is simply, then Come unto me. Please bow your heads with me as we come before him in prayer. Lord, I don't know the names or the stories of everybody listening to me right now, but I I know that you do. You you know um, how long each of these precious souls has been seeking you or striving with you or avoiding you. And you know, you know, Lord, what is needed next for each one whether it is a greater experience of worship or of spiritual growth or of servanthood, whether whether it is that that experience, Lord, of, of, of inviting you purposefully into life or of gathering in fellowship with other believers or searching your scriptures, whatever is needed next, Lord, don't let us rest when we walk out on the road Come alongside of us. Prompt us and take us more deeply into your life. For we pray in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of the risen Lord, the one who is the hope of our world. Amen.